0: Hello and welcome to Waging War, where we go to battle against sin and evil armed with the Word of God. Today's episode is going to be one that is incredibly timely given our current culture and our tendency to base our theology and our worldview on whatever we're feeling in the moment. Okay, so stop me if you've heard this one before. I'm just living my truth, or I don't care what X says that isn't my truth. I think we've all heard this before, probably frequently for a lot of us, and I think the majority of people listening to this episode right now probably understand that Fundamentally, there is something wrong with that statement. For me to say that there's a lot wrong with the idea of your truth is not exactly groundbreaking. However, I do think it's something that's worth continuing to explore in greater depth. Um, And really, that's what my aim is to do on this episode today. So let's start out by sort of defining what society sometimes can mean when they use the term my truth. In some cases, I think we see the word truth used interchangeably with the word story. In these instances, when someone says this is my truth, they simply mean this is my story. Now, in these cases, the issue is really less doctrine or theology-based, and it's more of an issue with an improper definition of the word itself. So if I was to say something like, I went to the movies tonight, and then I went out to eat, and that's my truth, there's nothing inherently wrong with that statement, as it's simply stating a fact. But the word truth in this context is not being used properly. But really, let's be honest here. How often do we hear the word truth being used in that context? Very rarely, if ever, I'd say. And even if the word is used improperly, the danger of using the word truth incorrectly is that it muddies the definition and can ultimately diminish its value. Typically, the word is used like this. At least this is how I've heard it more frequently. I believe X about something, and though the facts say something else entirely, that's not my truth. Very quickly, we can see that there's a massive issue with using the incorrect language here. The irony of a word like truth is that it's inherently objective, yet someone can then come right back and say, who decides that it's objective?" and then immediately truth is placed right back in their subjective category. An example of the danger and foolishness really of believing that truth is subjective is for me to say, I went to the movies tonight, and then I went out to eat. The speed limit was 40, but my truth was that the speed limit was 65. I also didn't feel hungry anymore, but I kept eating because being full was simply not my truth. Now, the conclusion of this is I have a speeding ticket and a stomachache because in the end, my definition of truth didn't really matter. The law held greater power than my truth, And therefore, because I broke the law, I received a penalty. It also seems like my stomach is higher on the power scale because even though my truth was that I was still hungry, my stomach seemed to disagree and I now have a stomach ache. Now, obviously, this is a bit of a ridiculous scenario, but I do think it gives us a picture of really how absurd the concept of subjective truth can be and how quickly it falls apart. You know, we can have our truths until we're blue in the face, but in the end, it really doesn't matter at all. I didn't create truth, so I'm not the one that gets to define what it is. I can also pressure those around me into accepting my truth, but this still doesn't make it truth. It just means I've roped more and more people around me into going along with my lie, ultimately. Now, this can really be true of anything in our lives. This can relate to our view of objective morality. It can pertain to our status and believing that we're entitled to more than we have. I mean, really, it's essentially rooted in a sort of delusion, so to speak, that strives to build a bubble of protection around it. The goal of the truth holder, I guess, is to grow the bubble more and more. And two things happen when this bubble, quote unquote, grows. One, we begin slipping further and further into a state of delusion because now more and more people are agreeing with our definition of truth and thereby affirming it in our minds. And two, we're able to insulate ourselves and block any objecting voices or any voices that are potentially giving us truth. And this is so incredibly dangerous. So my desire for us to grasp the idea of truth is not based in a desire to oppress or control. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I myself would never claim to be the arbiter of truth. However, I do know the one who is, and he has a lot to say about truth. So starting off at John 8.32, it says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the question is, whose truth wins out in the end, or stated in another way? Who gets to define truth? That's really what I want to tackle here today. So starting off with it, what is truth? We see some really specific instances of this word being used in the Bible. So let's explore those in a bit more depth. So we just read John 8.32, but let's look at what comes right before that verse for some additional context. So in John 8.31 through 8.32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Psalm 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. In Psalm 119, 160, we see the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And then in Proverbs 23, 23, buy truth and do not sell it, by wisdom, instruction, and understanding. So we see a very clear picture in God's word regarding truth and what exactly it is. And ultimately, kind of what we're getting to here is that the word of God is truth. A definition of truth that I like is the property of being in accord with fact or reality. Now, where this definition falls short is that in order to understand why truth is in fact truth, we would then have to break this definition apart even more and start diving into words like reality and fact, you know, with questions like, who's reality? Who's fact? Now, this is really where our cultural bias and our conditioning kind of comes into play. Reality and fact are not subjective. We don't get to decide what reality is and we don't get to pick and choose what is fact. If reality is debatable, then it's not in fact reality, it's something else entirely. If fact is debatable, just like reality it's not fact but it's something else and if we deny objective truth and rather than saying this is my truth we really should just start saying this is my delusion i know that sounds harsh but i truly hope that you understand my heart behind this is to show us real truth the kind of truth that sets the captive free the kind of truth that will never fail us and the kind of truth that never changes jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it i'm imploring you imploring you to stop following your heart Seriously, stop for a minute, pause this episode if you need to, and think about some of the situations following your heart has led you into. I would even dare say that we oftentimes know the truth in our heads, but because it doesn't align with what our heart says, we ignore it. Now let's take this idea one step further and begin really diving into the heart of truth. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, and glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John one seventeen says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then finally, John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Hopefully by this point, it's clear that God is truth and his word is truth. Specifically in that last verse we read, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. So Jesus has just told us what truth is, and we have two options when faced with it. One, we can do what the vast majority of the world does and run away from the truth because we don't like it. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So rather than embracing truth, no matter the cost, it's so much easier for us to run away. And the problem with this is that this is deadly, and really deadly isn't even a strong enough word to begin to describe what this is, because believing this lie has ramifications that extend far beyond the grave. And I'm not exaggerating or speaking in hyperbole here when I say that your response to Jesus' words here in John 14, 6 will quite literally determine where you spend your eternity. Falling for the lie that all roads lead to heaven and that your feelings and experiences supersede all will truly cost you everything. And I'm imploring you to heed not my words, but the words of Jesus, do not take my word for it. Open up your Bible and read what it says. Discover truth from God's word. Now, our second option with face with Jesus' words here are to humbly accept them and hold fast to truth no matter how hard the world comes against it. And I promise the world will come against it with everything it has. In our sinful flesh, we are so anti-anything that seems absolute. Absolute truth sounds like someone telling us what to do and what to believe. And in our sin, we completely reject it. So when someone asks why God gets to decide what truth is, The simple response is that the one who created it gets to decide what it is. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is within his rights to establish the basis of truth because he is truth. In the scenario of the police officer writing me a ticket for speeding, he was within his right to ticket me because my truth was not higher than the law. It doesn't matter how much I kick and scream, there's a hierarchy, so to speak, of truth, and I'm below the law of the land. I'm also below the truth of nature and gravity, if I walk off a cliff, it doesn't matter if my truth is that I can fly. The truth of the law of gravity takes over, and I'll learn very quickly that I cannot in fact fly. Ultimately, when we take this to its conclusion, this hierarchy of truth, so to speak, has to end somewhere. So where does it end? The answer is with God. Because God is truth, every word he speaks or inspires is truth. That is why the Bible, the inspired word of God, is our unchanging truth that we can hold fast to. Now here's a scary thing about us living in our perceived truth. We can presumably get away with it for a while even to the point of believing that we have in fact redefined the very word itself and have established our own new reality or our own truth. In the illustration I gave of walking off a cliff, if my truth is that I can fly, for a split second, I might feel like I'm flying. In fact, if I get a good running start, I might feel like I'm flying for a couple of seconds. Do we not do this in our everyday lives? We read the word of God and we see clearly what it teaches about us walking in righteousness. Yet we continue to live in sin, engaging in the same behaviors with the same people, day after day. We know the truth that bad company corrupts good morals, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, but we convince ourselves that our truth is that we can actually witness to the bad company and inject our good morals into them. But what ends up happening every time? We get sucked into temptation and we find ourselves compromising. This has been true for me really more times than I can count, and it leads to a tragic domino effect because I'm not only engaging in sin and compromising on truth when I'm out with acquaintances and doing things I know I shouldn't be doing. But I'm always struck with a deep conviction the second that I step away from the situation and I'm driving home or waking up the next morning. And then rather than going to God in earnest prayer and repentance and opening his word to have truth spoken back into my life, I feel ashamed and that I don't yet deserve to be made right with God because of my sin and that I need to punish myself or beat myself up a little bit more. And this really shouldn't be so. No matter the sin, we should always immediately come running back to Christ in true repentance, asking for his forgiveness. However, it's so much easier in the long run to not put ourselves in a compromising position in the first place. When we forego that invitation or we walk away from a situation that we know we should not be involved in, we'll immediately find that there is so much greater joy and peace walking in righteousness, walking in accordance with God's word and his statutes and his truth. And we'll find that we have an increasing desire to spend time in prayer and time in his word, which then leads to more and more joy. Here's another scenario of knowing truth. We know the truth of the Great Commission, where Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. But what does our truth tell us? That's the pastor's job. That's a super spiritual Christian's job. If I had more time in my day, I absolutely would. But because of my job, my kids, my responsibilities, I can't be expected to actively pursue the lost and share the gospel. One that I myself have used is a mentality of, I'll do it later. However, Later really never comes, and every second of every day someone is dying without knowing Christ. We have to share the gospel with a sense of urgency because there is quite literally no message more urgent or needed than this. And let's take this concept of truth one step further. For the person who claims to be a follower of Christ, yet believes that they can live in defiance of his word, your truth is that you can have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. You believe that the Bible is a book of suggestions to be followed when we find it convenient to our worldview. But let me ask you this, on the hierarchy of truth, what stands at the top, your worldview or God's word? First John two, fifteen through seventeen says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then in Matthew seven, twenty one through twenty three. It says, not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name?" And then will I declare to them, "I never knew you; depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." This is a hard truth, but it's so critical for us to understand. God's word is truth, regardless of whether or not we agree with it. On the hierarchy of ultimate truth, God stands alone. And on that final day, when the entire hierarchy comes crashing down, the only thing remaining is God and His Word. So, to the person who claims to follow Christ and believes that if they died today, they would spend eternity in heaven, yet shows no fruit, doesn't love the things of God or His Word, has no desire to spend time with God's people, the church, and has no intimacy with Him or desire to honor Him, let me humbly and sincerely ask you this Why? Why do you believe that you're saved? Because you went to church? Because you live in the Bible Belt? Because your parents are Christians? because you've created your own version of Jesus that fits your lifestyle and sometimes when he's convenient you'll name drop him is it because according to your truth and your morality you're a pretty good person really none of those things will save us and God's word is very clear regarding how we are saved in John 3:16 through 21 it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. My final plea to us is this. Stand on truth. We cannot believe the lie that we can define truth. Matthew seven sixteen through 20 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. If you look at your life and you see no evidence of fruit, If you see what God's Word decisively says about topics like sexual purity, homosexuality, pride, envy, gossip, and slander, and decide that your truth does not align with God's truth, I implore you to not believe the lie that you are entitled to eternity with Christ. Please, humbly submit to the Word of God. Ask God, in honesty and sincerity, to change your heart to align with His truth. Ask God to continually reveal Himself and His truth to you and to pour out His Spirit of truth upon you. Romans 10, nine through 13 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So ultimately I'm imploring you and imploring us to call on him today to submit to God and his word. And when we submit to God and his word and we submit to his truth, the only truth, we will find that there is inexpressible, incomprehensible joy found in the truth that he loves us so much more than we can comprehend. And again, going back to the verse, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we know truth, it sets us free. It doesn't hold us captive. It doesn't control us. It isn't trying to put us in a box. Instead, we'll find that there is so much freedom found in God's truth. Well, that is it for today, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, please feel free to leave a review as well, as that'll help the podcast reach a larger audience. You can also follow us on Instagram at War, and feel free to shoot me a DM with any questions that you have as well. Until next time, guys, remember, he won, wage war.